Fallout Down Under, Why Australia Just Ordered Refunds for Fallout 76. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we have a blast from the past, a blast back to the very first topic that we talked about in Virtual Legality. And that was on the question of whether folks could go and get a refund for their purchase of Fallout 76 last November. And for those of you who aren't familiar, Fallout 76 has had a somewhat tortured history. As I understand it now, it's a better game. There are a lot of folks that like it. There has been a bit of a uh, brouhaha regarding whether or not their premium subscription package, which I believe is $100 a year and they only announced last month, is a good buy and exactly how that's being reflected in the Fallout 76 landscape. But for the most part, as I understand it, a lot of the people that have stuck with it are, are relatively happy with it now. But that certainly wasn't the case in November of last year, and it has continued to not be the case for a whole swath of people. And so yesterday or today, depending on what side of the world you find yourself, I was made aware of an action by an Australian Consumer Protection Committee, and we're going to look at the actual name of that fully when we look at the statement. And I was made aware of this on my Twitter uh, by a follower of mine called uh, Old Saint Thick. Apparently, we're getting into Christmas naming on Twitter all of a sudden. Uh, but he also goes at Moonsbro, and I thank him for tipping me off to this. But it was from Wario64 who highlighted a statement that said that ZeniMax has to refund consumers for Fallout 76 in Australia. And so I wanted to take a look at that. I wanted to see exactly what that statement said, how it came to be. I think if you're at all familiar with this landscape, especially questions about ownership and how software is treated in various jurisdictions, you are familiar with kind of the, the conversation around Australia. You see Valve and Steam having issues with Australia from time to time because their laws are different enough from the United States, their consumer protection laws specifically. So let's take a look at what their commission actually wound up saying. And the full name for this is the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, or the ACCC. And this is dated November 1st, 2019. I was obviously made aware of this overnight. Uh, so that's the international dateline at work. But it says ZeniMax to refund consumers for the Fallout 76 game. The ACCC has accepted a court enforceable undertaking from three related video game companies after they acknowledged that they were likely to have misled consumers about their consumer guarantee rights in relation to the online action game Fallout 76. So just parsing out that sentence a little bit, and I'm not an Australian lawyer, uh, but a court enforceable undertaking sounds essentially like either a settlement or an affidavit or a statement that comes from the company that says, we admit to this, and if you needed to, if we were to not honor this, you could go and you could enforce this statement in court, a court enforceable undertaking. So for all intents and purposes, ZeniMax and Bethesda, as the subsidiary of ZeniMax, have admitted to fault here to some extent. Now, what you won't see in this statement, we're going to continue with it, is you won't actually see a statement that they acknowledge that Fallout 76 is broken or damaged or anything like that. This is actually more of a technical or procedural fault with what Australia demands when somebody tells you that they are rejecting your good. And we're going to look at that actual law in a second as well. The company ZeniMax Media Inc., ZeniMax Europe Limited, and ZeniMax Australia Pty Limited, together ZeniMax, accepted that their actions were likely to have contravened the Australian Consumer Law, or the ACL. The ACCC received complaints that ZeniMax representatives told consumers that they were not entitled to a refund 
after they had experienced a variety of faults with the Fallout 76 game, including, in some cases, problems with the servers lagging graphic and visual problems. ZeniMax has acknowledged that they are likely to have misled certain Australian consumers about their rights to a refund when they experienced faults with their Fallout 76 game, ACCC Commissioner Sarah Court said. ZeniMax will offer to provide refunds to consumers who contacted them between 24 November 2018 and 1 June 2019 to request a refund and have not already received one. Consumers who accept a refund will no longer be entitled to access and play the game. Makes sense. Now, it's interesting, those dates, right? That's, I believe, the launch date probably in Australia, the 24th of November. And then it ends on the 1st of June, so a couple months ago. So there could be a couple things there. One, that's just the dates that this whole process had to take place during. And so those are the only dates that this could all cover. Could also be that there was some fundamental change in the code of Fallout 76 that was evaluated somehow. That seems unlikely. Uh, But overall... If you purchased it after June 1st of 2019, you are not entitled to this protection, at least as determined right now. Now, if you went and you go and you ask for Bethesda slash ZeniMax to give you a refund on this as of July of 2019, chances are, if you're Australian, they don't want to have this fight again, so they probably will give it to you. However, because they haven't done so in the past, they have to do it now for all the way back until the 24th of November And that's what this is all about, is that they were essentially telling people that called them that they weren't entitled to a refund, even though Australian law provides for different rights than American law and from other jurisdictions laws. And so they weren't fully complying with the statutory requirements of selling a product or selling a software license into Australia. And that's what this is all about. The statement continues, when a consumer buys a product, it comes with automatic consumer guarantees and retailers must ensure their refunds and returns policies do not misrepresent what the Australian consumer law provides, Ms. Court said. When a consumer has purchased a product that has a fault, which amounts to a major failure, the Australian consumer law provides them with the right to ask for their choice of either a repair, replacement, or refund. ZeniMax has also undertaken to amend its customer service documents and scripts to address the ACCC's concerns about misrepresentation of the consumer guarantee rights under the ACL. So I said at the top of reading this statement that they didn't really talk about the faults, and they don't really. There's nothing here that actually says that what happened with Fallout 76 rises to the level of a major failure, although it's strongly implied. What it says is that ZeniMax never really even entertained the concept of an Australian major failure. And so by not entertaining it at all, we're going to make you refund everybody that asked for one between the 24th of November and the 1st of June, because you shouldn't have in your script that you are never, ever, ever entitled to a refund Australian, because that's simply not the case under Australian law. And as we looked at in the terms of service last year, that actually is contemplated by the lawyers at ZeniMax. They actually have phrasing, and we're going to see it, that, that exempts Australia and some other jurisdictions from some of their more American-facing uh, representations and warranties and refund statements and licenses and everything else. So they knew it from a legal perspective, but on the ground, they had not provided kind of differences in their scripting for their consumer service people. So when somebody called in, they maybe weren't asked what jurisdiction they were in. They certainly will be now. But if you're Australian, you're supposed to get a slightly different statement than if you're American. And that's what they weren't following. And so that's why they say, all right, fine, we'll give refunds to everybody that wants one from Australia. For a number of reasons, if you're Bethesda and ZeniMax, it's because one, it's not the largest market in the world. And so you can kind of take these steps to comply with Australian law. And two, you don't want to make this a bigger deal, right? If you're a corporation 
and you look at this and you say, all right, we're not actually getting to a place where they say that the game was terrible and at fault and all this stuff. There are a few paragraphs here and there where it's kind of implied, but we don't want to get into a fight about whether or not there was a major failure here because that can only look bad. If we have that fight, then this statement winds up looking like an itemized list of all the things that Fallout 76 did wrong, especially at launch, which we have devoted resources to fixing in the intervening year. So we don't want to relitigate that fight because if we do, and that Australian statement comes out, that looks bad on us, that looks bad for our future sales, we don't want to do that. So let's just agree. Let's have a court-enforceable undertaking that says, yep, we'll refund everybody in Australia that asked for one. We're sorry about that. We won't do it again. We're going to correct our scripts and we will move on. But why is Australia so different? And that's one of the things that I was really interested in when I read that statement, because that's not the kind of statement that would come up in uh, looking at a United States set of software license terms. So I went and I looked up the Australian consumer law, which has all these summary documents, but it sends us to schedule two. And so this is the Australian Consumer Law site. I wanted to link this in the video so that you could have it as a link in the description. But overall, actually reading the law is significantly more difficult than you might think. Even for a lawyer like me, statutes, ladies and gentlemen, they are not that easy to follow. So I went and I found Schedule 2 to the Compet Competition and Consumer Act of 2010 from the Australian government. And it's uh, very long, as you can see here from the index. But it does cover what we want to cover in respect of why the folks that want a refund from Fallout 76 are entitled to a refund, provided that they rejected the goods properly. So let's go and let's go all the way down to part 259. And we're going to have to go all the way back up. So bear with me here. This is statutory reading live and on video. But this is called part 5-4, division 1, subdivision A, part 259 actions against suppliers of goods a consumer which is very broadly defined in this law as i found it's anybody that purchases things for a value of less than forty thousand dollars so it's essentially i think designed to capture even car purchases of a certain size in australia but it says a consumer may take action under this section if a person in this case that would be bethesda or zenimax the law holds a person to also include entities you know it's, it's legal language supplies in trade or commerce goods to the consumer and a guarantee that applies to the supply under subdivision A of division one of part three, two, other than sex, subsections 58 and 59, one, of course, is not complied with. If the failure to comply with the guarantee can be remedied and is not a major failure, the consumer may require the supplier to remedy the failure within a reasonable time, or if such a requirement is made of the supplier, but the supplier refuses or fails to comply with the requirement or fails to comply with the requirement within a reasonable time, the consumer may otherwise have the failure remedied and by action against the supplier, recover the cost of that remedy or subject to six, section 262, which is on our list of things to check out, notify the supplier that the consumer rejects the goods and of the ground or grounds for the rejection. So this is a guarantee that can't be remedied and is not a major failure. We're not going to go deep into the concept of major failure because for the most part, that was avoided in the statement. And we actually don't need to get there to discuss exactly what this law does. So what this section says, 259.1 and 259.2, is it says a person supplies something that doesn't meet a guarantee, and we have to go figure out what those are, then the consumer that got that something that doesn't comply with that guarantee can go ask them to fix it or if they refuse to fix it, 
they can go and they can get it fixed by another party and they can charge the supplier or they can reject the goods entirely and bump out into section 262 and then in 262 you'll see other remedies that the, that the supplier has to meet and we can look here in 260 i said we wouldn't do it but a failure to comply with a guarantee referred to in 259 1b that applies to a supply of goods is a major failure if the goods would not have been acquired by a reasonable consumer fully acquainted with the nature and extent of the failure the goods depart in one or more significant respects from the description of what was supposed to be supplied. They're unfit for the purpose for which goods of the same kind are commonly supplied, or they're unfit for the disclosed purpose or not of an acceptable quality. So this is what Bethesda and Zenimax was trying to avoid, what they kind of avoided with the statement from the ACCC. But you don't want to have a statement out there by a government body or a government agency that essentially says your goods are not of a standard that you would expect from the supplier of software video games, or they're not an acceptable quality. All these things that were part and parcel of the discussion we had about Fallout 76 last year. You don't want to get into that conversation. But ultimately, you wind up in a similar place, that the consumer can go ha ask to have it fixed, or they can charge for fixing it, or they can go and they can get bumped into Section 262, which we're going to check out last, because we have to go check out Subdivision A of Division 1 of Part 3-2, other than sections 58 and 59. So that's all the way back at part 51 up here. So we look here and we see part 3-2, division 1, subdivision A. We've landed in the right spot. Guarantees relating to the supply of goods. You get a guarantee as to title, that the person selling it to you owns it. You get a guarantee as to undisturbed possession, that you'll be allowed to own it after you buy it. You get a guarantee as to undisclosed securities, that there won't be a lien or charge. Somebody else doesn't have a right to that thing that was sold to you after it has been sold to you. You get a guarantee as to acceptable quality. Goods are of acceptable quality if they are fit for all purposes for which goods of that kind are commonly supplied, acceptable in appearance and finish, free from defects, safe and durable as a reasonable consumer fully acquainted with the state and condition of the goods would regard as acceptable. In other words, it's a third-party standard, right? So you look at this and you say, oh man, Fallout 76 was a mess when it launched. And it was, absolutely. But that maybe isn't the end of the story here, right? Because it has to meet an acceptable person standard, which they set as Section 3, which says the matters for the purposes of subsection 2 are the nature of the goods, the price of the goods, statements made about the goods on the packaging, representations from the supplier, and other relevant circumstances. So this is designed to cover this kind of scenario, right? If you go to a discount store and you buy their cheapest, most janky-looking fan because you need a little bit of cooling in your office, but you can get it for $6, then if it breaks down in three weeks or whatever, Australia looks at that and says, okay, you were trying to get a really cheap fan. Maybe three weeks is a little too much, but let's call it two months maybe. And that fan breaks down. You got it for $6. You know, what were you expecting? When we interpret all of this, we are going to look at the nature of the goods, really cheap, really disposable, the price. Okay, you didn't pay much. A fan really should cost $50, whatever it might be. Statements made about the goods. Maybe the discount store says, hey, all of this stuff is junk, but we want to get some of it out of warehouses. We want to get you stuff at a low discount price. This is where you go and you buy junk stuff. We don't want to completely eliminate that market. So if you have a good that does have those qualities, maybe you don't get full protections for what acceptable quality is because it's a sliding scale. Now, we've talked about it in virtual legality, but that's a problem from a statutory perspective because it allows a third-party adjudicator to kind of try to decide what's acceptable, 
right? What is the nature of the goods? That doesn't mean anything. What's the price of the goods? Obviously, lower means it can be junkier, but higher, what, where, where's the difference between lower and higher? And you get into these kinds of discussions because the nature of the goods, when you're talking about software video games, when you're talking particularly about online, massively multiplayer online video games, the nature of these things is that it is not a precise science. Even the best developers in the world are going to have bugs. And if you get hit by a certain amount of bugs, then you think it's defective for you, but maybe it's not defective overall. And in my opinion, something like the ACCC is not going to be in a great position to decide whether or not this particular piece of software is far, far, far more broken than that particular piece of software over there. So it has its own issues when we talk about these kinds of things. But this is basically where... Bethesda and ZeniMax got into trouble is that there is this guarantee. And when we talk about American law, as we are when we're going to look at the Bethesda terms and conditions from ZeniMax in just a second, these are what we would call the implied warranties. Fitness for a particular purpose, uh, all the other things that you see here, these are all implied in contracts, but they're always disclaimed as part of a commercial transaction when somebody sells you something. Because you don't if you're a corporation especially, but even to some extent, business to business, it's the standard practice in America to disclaim these things because you don't want a judge to suddenly start implying things, determining things on an implied basis. You want express warranties. You want to clearly outline exactly what it is you're promising. And certainly to the extent that Bethesda and ZeniMax promised something in Fallout 76 that wasn't there quantifiably, I think that that's an easier case to make than it's just not free enough from defects. It's not durable. It's not fit for the purposes of which goods of that kind are commonly supplied, et cetera, et cetera. So you do see in America that these things are disclaimed all the time. And whether or not that's a good thing is up to you. But it is the case that that's how commercial transactions are carried out here. And that's one of the reasons why this Australian decision won't really impact United States buyers of Fallout 76. You have similar guarantees, fitness for any disclosed purpose. It has to be fit for what you say it is going to do. It has to be uh, related to the supply of goods by description, by sample or demonstration, uh, repairs and spare parts, and express warranties. You get a guarantee as to what they actually tell you, which is, which is nice. So basically, we're talking about a set of guarantees here that would fall under the category of implied in America. And they're not implied in Australia. They are essentially expressed. They're statutory requirements. And then what happens when you don't get those guarantees properly kind of thought about? All right, so now we find ourselves at section 263, consequences of rejecting goods. If you remember, in section 259, it was stated that if the supplier, Bethesda, Zenimax, doesn't meet one of those guarantees, then you have, if they don't replace it, if they don't repair it, you have the right to completely reject the goods. And it says, the section applies if under section 259, a consumer notifies a supplier of goods that the consumer rejects the goods. The consumer must return the goods to the supplier, if subsection 2B applies, the supplier must, within a reasonable time, collect the goods. The supplier must, in accordance with an election made by the consumer, so this is at the consumer's choice, refund any money paid by the consumer for the goods, an amount that is equal to the value of any other consideration provided by the consumer for the goods, or replace the rejected goods with goods of the same type and of similar value if such goods are reasonably available. The supplier cannot satisfy the refund requirement by permitting the consumer to acquire goods from the supplier. You can't give supplier credits, Bethesda bucks, in order to meet the refund requirement. So that's what consumers have the right to do in Australia, regardless of whether or not it's a major fault or not, is they can go, they can say, fix it. If it's not fixed, they can say, we reject these goods and you owe us a refund if we want it. 
And so that's what was happening here is that they were calling Bethesda. Bethesda was saying, no, we don't give refunds, which they don't under their terms and conditions to most of the world. But what they said, we don't give refunds. And that's how they got caught is that they have this statement now from the ACCC that says you were telling people they weren't entitled to refunds at all. And our penalty for that is that you will give refunds to everybody. And we're not going to go into whether there was a major failure or whether or not everybody had to reject the goods in a specific way. You're just going to give those refunds to everybody that asked for them because you did this wrong at the start. And that's the state of Australian law. And again, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes with major failure, but it basically winds up in the same space, which is on a major failure, all this stuff kind of automatically happens. And Bethesda and ZeniMax don't want to get into that discussion about whether a major failure occurred. So let's just take a short dive back into the ZeniMax Media Terms of Service. This is what applies to everybody that's not in the jurisdictions that are kind of outside of the operation of these terms of service in specific ways. But you can see here that the ZeniMax lawyers, to their credit, were trying to write these terms of service in a manner that allowed these other jurisdictions to have their rights, to have their statutes, to still allow them to sell games into these jurisdictions without getting into trouble. It says these terms of service contain a binding individual arbitration and class action waiver provision in section 15 that affects your rights under these terms of service with respect to any disputes between you and ZeniMax and requires you and ZeniMax to resolve disputes in binding individual arbitration and not in court. If you reside in a jurisdiction outside of the European Economic Area, United Kingdom, Switzerland, Australia, New Zealand, Turkey, Japan, or Brazil, you have a right to opt out of the binding individual arbitration and class action waiver as provided below in section 15. So as long as you're outside those areas, you have these waivers, and these have been long talked about in kind of legal philosophy and and journalistic op-eds and things like that. But if you're outside of these areas, those apply to you. If you're not outside of those, presumably they don't apply to you. And you see a number of areas where this pops up. If you are a resident in the EEA, UK, Switzerland, Russia, Australia, New Zealand, Turkey, Japan, or Brazil, ZeniMax acknowledges that there are certain guarantees, warranties, terms, and conditions, including without limitation in respect of refunds and returns, unfair terms, and ZeniMax's mandatory legal duties, see the next paragraph, and liabilities such as for death or personal injury due to its negligence, imposed by the laws relating to the supply of goods, services, and digital content under these terms of services, the supplemental terms in any EULA which the laws expressly provide may not be excluded, restricted, or modified, or may only be limited to a certain extent. The statutory obligations. That was a whole lot of legal language, right? But basically it says, we're not going to violate the law in selling our stuff. So we've got all these terms and conditions. This is how we would like reality to be. To the extent that you've written a law that contravenes this, your law obviously controls. And we will assume that these terms and conditions yield to that law. So you can read them, court in Australia or ACCC, as not applying to your specific jurisdiction. And that's all well and good. That's how you write something like this when you have multiple global jurisdictions that deal with things differently. Here's another example. Once you have redeemed downloadable content, that content is not returnable, exchangeable, or refundable for other content or for cash, other goods, or services unless approved by ZeniMax or required by applicable law and subject to the statutory obligations. Said another way, we're not refunding your stuff unless the law requires us to refund your stuff. Then we'll refund your stuff, of course, because the law required us to, and we're not going to act illegally in your jurisdiction. So again, the lawyers trying to protect ZeniMax, trying to protect Bethesda and everybody else in the ZeniMax family says, hey, if a law comes in and says we do something else, then we're going to do whatever it's required to do to follow the law. Here they have a disclaimer of warranty. This is exactly what we were talking about. 
To the extent permitted by applicable law and subject to the statutory obligations, Zenimax, its licensors, and resellers do not make any representations, warranties, or guarantees to you regarding any service, including but not limited to the quality, functionality, availability, accessibility, or performance of a service. Each service is provided to you on an as-is and as-available basis. In some jurisdictions, including the EEA, UK, Switzerland, Russia, Australia, New Zealand, Turkey, Japan, and Brazil, certain warranties may automatically arise or apply unless these warranties are disclaimed. Subject to the statutory obligations, we disclaim everything we're allowed to disclaim. So certain of these laws, not Australia as best as I can tell, but certain of these laws in the various jurisdictions say, okay, this is what the default rule is going to be, and you're allowed to disclaim X, Y, and Z. So what this is is an umbrella policy so that it can apply to all these different jurisdictions. It says, hey, to the extent we're allowed to disclaim those warranties, we disclaim them. And I don't think that is something that Australia kind of contemplates. And so they're stuck and they say, all right, all those things are going to apply to a sale of this product in Australia. In states or jurisdictions that prohibit the disclaimer of implied warranties or the exclusion of certain warranties, Zenimax shall disclaim and exclude warranties to the maximum extent permitted by law. And the duration of any such warranty they may not be disclaimed shall be for the shortest duration permitted by applicable law. We want to disclaim as much as possible. Then you see limitation of liability, limited remedies. If you are a resident in the EEA, UK, Switzerland, Russia, Australia, New Zealand, and Turkey, Japan, or Brazil, the following provisions of this section 12 only apply to the extent they are not contrary to the statutory obligations. And this is another place where they say, here's the limitation on what we could possibly owe you. Your sole remedy is essentially to stop playing the game and not to ask for a refund. However, based on that highlighted language, if another jurisdiction's laws require us to do something else, we will, of course, do that. And what Zenimax was doing was saying in their script, having their customer service representatives say, you are not entitled to a refund because that is the default rule under their terms and conditions. And they didn't educate their entire staff regarding what Australian rules would be, presumably what European rules would be, whatever else jurisdictions you see mentioned here, what those rules might be. And that's why they are now offering refunds or being required to offer refunds to everyone in Australia that asked for them through the 1st of June this past year. That's why they did this wrong. And you could argue, depending on your level of cynicism, that they did it wrong deliberately because they didn't think people would bring up a claim. Or if you're not quite so cynical, that large organizations are perhaps not fully aware of what the left hand is doing and telling what the right hand should do when faced with customer facing interactions. And so you could say, hey, they just made a mistake and now they're correcting for that mistake. It's really up to you at your level of corporate cynicism. But either way, the primary mistake here was telling Australian folks not that they could potentially get a refund if they brought a claim of a specific kind of failure. They had to offer us a chance to fix it, et cetera, et cetera. Chances are none of that process was followed because the scripting from Bethesda and Zenimax wasn't followed. And because it's short-circuited at that level, you fully understand why the ACCC essentially says, well, Bethesda, Zenimax, you have to offer these refunds because we don't know who would have complied with those requirements had you given them the proper kind of prompts back in November of last year all the way through June of this year. And maybe that's the difference between why June 1st of this year is stopped is because after having these conversations with Australia, some of the scripting got changed and those prompts were requested by people asking for refunds from Australia. We just don't know why that date exists in the statement. But long story short there is that Australia consumer protection law is very strong. I think it's allowed to do that. And, and most of the publishers, most of the developers don't mind it because Australia is a good market, but it's not a maximal market as, as some of the other markets in the world are. And so they are okay with complying with it on a kind of partial basis. It would be interesting to find out whether if this becomes a major, major issue for future software going forward, because I think as we've talked about, 
Most software licenses disclaim defects. They essentially say that this software might be defective for at least periods of time. We're going to work to fix it, probably. That's probably an obligation in most licenses. But I think as video gamers know, as people that actually use enterprise software on a regular basis know, software is a constantly moving target. It's not typically something that you could describe as without defect completely. And so it will be interesting to see if this becomes a continuing issue for future video games, whether the ACCC is making a point of calling Bethesda and ZeniMax out specifically for their scripting process here, or whether they are seeking for bigger fish in actually going and attacking online live service games that have defects or that maybe change in patches and things of that nature. Certainly this kind of dovetails with the discussions that we've had in virtual legality about whether you own your game, what a software license can do. The French court decision, which we already talked about, that said you have to be able to sell games that are licensed from Steam. All these various different kinds of things are coming together, and I expect them to be topics in virtual legality in 2020, certainly, and certainly onward from there, because digital rights, property rights, and digital entertainment are something that all of these jurisdictions, including the US and the EEU and everywhere else, are constantly, constantly discussing. So if you're at all interested in this, please check out the rest of this channel. We talk about these things all the time. Otherwise, if you caught this video on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. If you think somebody else would be interested in it, please share it around. Or if you listen to it in its podcast format, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.